Good morning. This is BFC Live for Tuesday, August 4th, the summer edition. Coming up, our conversation with Krista Raymer of the Vitrina Group and, and Christina Michael of Marigold's Cannabis, talking customer retention in cannabis retail. Join us on Friday for a Lunch and Learn with Candelta, answering any and all questions under the title, So You Want to Open a Cannabis Retail Store. As well, at the end of the month, on August 27th, we are co-producing an event under our Cannabis Forward Education Networking Banner titled Social Equity and Practice. Sign up for both of those on our website. Thanks to our ongoing partners, BDSA, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmarks, Candelta, and Torque and Mains. As always, we are protected by our friends at Alcet. Now enjoy this conversation with Krista Raymer and Christina Michael. Krista Raymer, Christina Hi, Michael, thanks for being here. Hey, This is going to be good fun, uh, and not only because, Krista, we see you a fair amount, but, Christina, we had you... Uh, last week at a Cannabis Forward event. So thank you again for doing that. We wanted to reconnect or connect you two and us on BFC Live because uh, we want to, we, we talk a lot about retail um, and we specifically talk a lot about retail as it relates to compliance. We do that a fair amount, but I want to take it uh, either one step forward or one step backward, depending on your perspective, but talk about um, actually creating uh, stores that, that think about attracting customers. Whoa. Uh, retaining customers, and then uh, increasing customer spend, which I have learned everything I know about retail from Krista. So thank you both for being here, and let's get into it. Yeah. So, Christina, I have, like, some loaded questions for you, but maybe we can start off by talking a little bit about um, something that we notice a lot uh, with the retailers that we've either worked with or um, speak to on a regular basis, and that is that there is a lot of time um, during that pre-opening phase, which is focused on compliance. And if we think about it as um, there's compliance has a cup and customer experience has a cup and then your team has a cup, there's a lot of energy that is going into that compliance piece. And those other two cups tend to be neglected either until right before the store opens or um, once the store is open. And it's that piece that is like the customer experience and the team piece that ultimately are going to be the ones that will service the sales. And so we have this conversation with clients all the time where it's, are we in the business of getting doors open compliant with, within compliance or are we in the business of getting stores open so that we can sell products ultimately like cannabis? And so I would love to know from you like, as somebody who is building a brand, how do we focus, or what is your perspective on focusing and giving compliance some energy, but also giving energy to the other pieces as well? Um, well, thanks for having me, both of you, and inviting me for this conversation. I think the biggest part for me is I started um, with the mindset of we're retail first. Um, so we're a retailer, our product mix happens to be cannabis and cannabis accessories and hopefully as we move forward, some non-cannabis things like our apparel and other boutique items that we're capable of selling as the regulations change and evolve. So I think for me, I came at it more from if I was a retailer doing any retail program, what would I be doing first? Completely separating the regulations and compliance out of it and creating a business plan, a strategy, and an ops plan just as a retailer. 
and then adding that layer of compliance and regulations to what we have to do so we can actually pivot, modify, completely change a, a, an approach if we needed to. And working, obviously I, I had a little bit of an advantage because I was doing consulting in the space in the first place and helping open other retail brands. So I had a little bit of a head start in terms right. of you know understanding the regulatory and compliance sector of the industry, um, but I really continue to approach Marigolds from a strategic standpoint of we are retail first, we're about consumer experience, and then we add that layer of regulation and compliance to it. And that's, then you can actually see a little bit like where you need to change things, how you have to understand uh, uh, customer conversions, and that's what we really want, right? We, we want more of our population actually purchasing cannabis, even though they may have interest, how do we convert them into coming into our store? And for me and for Marigolds, that is really, how do we create a familiar environment so people feel comfortable coming into the store? What's really comforting and inviting to them um, with remaining in compliance <laughs> at all times. So as you said before, right. there's compliance from the licensing standpoint that trickles down all the way to the, uh, sorry, there's a baby crying outside. I don't know if you guys can hear that. <laughs> Um, whether there's a, um, that you come in from a licensing standpoint having to apply for your license, which is a daunting process in and of itself. Um, it takes a long time. They ask for a lot of uh, materials. They dig into your background. That can be a little bit overwhelming and a, and a little bit unnerving at times. You don't know how they're going to interview you and so on. Um, you start checking all of your social media posts, scrubbing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you do what have I done? <laughs> But then it trickles down to, you know, something you said that was really important is like opening the doors. I mean, there's that licensing piece, which once it's in the hands of the people reviewing your license, you just sit back and wait and, and hope for the best and, and go through all of your, you know, hoops. I call them burning hoops of fire that you're shot out of the cannon every day and hope you, you know, make it through like we're in a circus to... Now I got to deal with my POS system. And that in and of itself is like a good four to six weeks of building your product mix, doing all of your uploads, getting all of your images in there, figuring out how your, your bud view is going to work if you're going to have menu boards and how everything gets integrated with Merco if you have Merco. And, you know, hope a little being a little bit late to the party now isn't so bad because. Thank you to all my fellow retailers that went through the pains, uh, growing pains at the very beginning to make all of these processes integrated much easier for me. Um, that certainly helps, but you know, you have to be trained in every facet. So the retail first part is where we should start. Um, and then hiring someone like yourself or a consultant that's, that's working specific to the cannabis industry and in compliance to actually add that layer on top of what you've already built is huge. And it's a massive time saver. And that's really what we want to do is save time, save money. Yeah, like ultimately we totally agree. And we think that it's really difficult, especially if you are an independent retailer where you have to wear so many hats. It's like, how do you take off the hat from one day and say, I'm compliance focused today and tomorrow I'm going to be customer experience focused or the next day I'm going to be focused on the team. Those right. things can at times feel like they are very much in contradiction or at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. And so 
you said something earlier where it's like you have to build that strategy. So if you can stand back to build the strategy, you can see where these things connect. And by bringing in people that are focused in those specific areas helps you really like put those hats on so that you can continue to manage what happens all in between. But if you're totally focused on just compliance and running through those burning hoops and you make it through and then you like have a breath, that's the worst feeling because when you're having a breath then you're like, I have a list of all of these other things that need to get done. Oh gosh, and we are, a workbook with 20 tabs of different departments or something. Well, well, yeah. But it's also, I mean, as you've been describing sort of the burning hoops and jumping through, and I think Krista's point is this, it's that, you know, many people look at sort of getting a license and opening the doors as the end point, right? Whereas yeah. the real thing is to actually look at that as the beginning point, because it does feel like an end, but really that's day one as opposed to day, you know, 500 that you're in this process. But day right. one, to day 30 to day 60 can be the make or break it for your business, even if you're spending, you know, two, three years getting to that point. The barrier just to get yeah. is so high that yeah, it we talked about that briefly before we started recording, which was like the barriers to entry are also already risky, right? We have to go through a lot to even a especially in British Columbia, we, we have a, such a different system here. It's, it's been 14 months and I'm finally going to be opening my first set of doors. So I have to consider first and foremost, um, I would say to anybody that's wanting to enter this business in the retail side, you figure out what your budget is and talk to a consultant first about where that money needs to go. What pocket does that money need to go into in order for you to get to day one? Um, without being the cost of entry being too far down the rabbit hole and how you're going to allocate those funds to create that strategy and efficiency to get to that day one. So you're turning a profit within 90 days versus paying a shareholder loan off for three years. And you're like, what did I do this for? Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's really, really, really important is, and I, I would say, um, not because I'm, I'm also on a lot of your side in terms of doing some consulting in the industry as well. It's mostly, you know, you think we have a lot of seasoned people in the industry now. So please, I would encourage anyone to seek out people that have done this proof of concept is everything. So if somebody's already done this and been down this road or has success and proof, proof of concept. I highly suggest taking a small part of your budget and at least, or at least having a conversation and finding out what their value is and what they're going to bring to the table to help you get to that day one. So your profit turning experience is going to be far better than if you tried to do it by yourself um, or if you hired the wrong person, you know, and you're all learning from the ground up. You know, we have a lot of really great talent in this industry now. And I, I feel like, the cannabis industry, unfortunately, has taken a bit of a turn in some ways, but fortunately, it's kind of leveled out the playing field and people are not now gouging for consulting fees. I think we're, we're you know, we have enough of gouging going on still. As soon as you say cannabis to somebody like, oh, your lease is now three times as expensive or, <laughs> you know, so, so even someone like yourself going in to help negotiate a lease. Mm -hmm. And understanding to have that bottom level, like what are our baseline operational costs going to look like and how do we get there with the most amount of efficiency with the, and the fastest to be able to get to that day one and have everything operational and functional so you're not wasting time 
and you're retaining staff so you're not having turnover and you're understanding you know this is I'm going to do a little shameless plug for Council 45, but this is how we're developing councils for people like yourselves to be a one-stop shop to find the best-in-class consultants across the country. And we now know with COVID that working virtually is not a barrier to working with the best talent you can right. find across the country. And travel costs have gone down, obviously, and we can do a lot of things by a virtual network to provide people with the best insurance prices and the best um fixtures that people can purchase and the best consulting services and the best uh product mix that we can find outside of what we have to purchase from our distribution branches so you know however we can do that to create these conversions is super important and we all have to kind of build this community um, Mary Golds is built, and Jay, you've heard this a thousand times, I'm sorry if I keep repeating myself, but we're built on inclusivity, collaboration, education, and community on every level. So um, I'm certainly a huge proponent of everyone in this industry taking on those four pillars. We should be talking to each other. If we want this industry to do really well and be profitable across all sectors. We need to be sharing information, collaborating with each other, educating each other, and building a larger community to thrive. Um, in these areas. Um, may I, because I think um, a lot of what we've talked about and what we have talked about uh, even with Krista on other programs, you know, about flexible leases and about thinking about who you hire and, and all those things that are really foundational to being a successful retailer, that um, the consumer who comes in for the first time, um, not that they don't care about any of those things, but they really don't care about anything. They care about a, a shopping experience that they like and that feels mm -hmm comfortable and to come back more and more, right? So it's like, you have to have so many different kinds of skills as you get ramped up as a cannabis retailer. Um, a lot of the business sort of uh, compliance stuff beforehand, and then the real important retail skills once you open. And, and Christine, I'd love to sort of get your thoughts because you, you've been in it yourself and thinking about it with other people. Like, how do you think about the mix? And we, we had on a retailer um, last week saying that 75% she thinks of the success our first store was based on the store manager, right? Or and the manager, yeah, and the team. Like, yeah. is, is that yeah. how you place it too? And, and then I guess the, the corollary of that is like, how do you ensure that in store? Uh, 100%. And like I said before, I'll circle back to you. Like I went at it from a completely retail first approach instead of a cannabis first approach. Um, all of my staff, um, doesn't have cannabis retail experience. I hired people that have customer service that have um, experience in, in chain stores, um, that have phone experience, that have presence. Um, mm -hmm. So from, I, from the hospitality industry as well, my manager of the store, she's an exceptional talent, Nicole. She has, uh, she's very technical, she's creative, she's business savvy, she's you know, business oriented, she's uh, managed some Earl's restaurants and was very consumer driven and understood the liquor industry and regulations. And, and she's, she loves it. She's a delight. And she's also, you know, helping with product procurement and doing all of, you know, she's come to my, she's like a unicorn for me, honestly. I don't know how I could live without her now. Um, 
And then, you know, uh, Sarah came from more, she's done some retail in the past for companies like Pottery Barn and West Elm and Williams Sonoma. So that consumer first experience is ingrained in there. And she also came from a, a packaging and a food and packaging business. So she understands regulations around food and, and packaging can, and can explain things to the consumer. Um, and understands merchandising. I have a 15 page planogram for merchandising in our store and how to train people on retail merchandising. And again, we're just applying cannabis to it, right? So we have to integrate those um, business as usual basics and integrate cannabis into how we can approach the industry to create that familiar environment, plus train staff to kind of have a hybrid approach and learning all about compliance regulation and a product mix that is a little challenging to, to navigate. And then also taking that retail first approach to have conversions. So if you're talking about three tiers of customers, for example, we all know that the high THC product is going to sell because people are going to want to come in and, and purchase their product. I've been in retail stores and honestly, they're in, they're out, especially with um, click and collect. You know, they can order online, come in for two minutes, pick up their stuff and leave. They already know what they want. Then there's the consumer that's new to the industry, but has been experimenting a little bit with integrating cannabis into their life. They kind of want to know what's coming out, what's new. So let's create an environment for them that it's going to be, like you said, Jay, fun to come into and shop and create these elements that they're like, oh, I didn't realize you could pair that together. Or I didn't, I didn't know that these were feature products or, you know, what's the difference between CBD dominant or THC dominant and, and hybrid and what are terpenes and, you know, creating more of an educational experience for them. And then there's the absolute person who is interested in trying cannabis, but super nervous. We want to convert those people to wanting to purchase more on the medium level that, that consumer that's comfortable, but how do you get them in the door? How do you create an environment for them where they feel safe and secure? Um, to me personally, those are a lot of people myself. Um, and I, uh, you know, I'm in, in my late forties, I'm a parent, I'm a professional and, and I, obviously I do consume cannabis and so on, but at the end of the day, well, maybe it isn't obvious, but I do, um, <laughs> regulated of course. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, someone like myself who's, who's going, okay, I want to try some new product. Even for me as a store owner, when new product comes out, I'm thinking, well, how am I going to make this appealing for someone to come in and want to try it? Um, and it's just really creating, again, repetitive is a retail first environment, like people coming in and when you see marigolds, when you walk in, I've had several people come in over the last few weeks to see the environment and they're like, this is a cannabis store. Mm -hmm. Like interesting. You know, the only thing that's differentiating it really at this point is that things are behind glass doors. Um, you can't actually tangibly touch the product. Uh, we do, however, have some beautiful, the industry is coming out with some beautiful beauty products that are fake, that we can actually look at branding and we can actually like touch fake things and, and see what it's going to look like. Um, so that's really fun and interesting. So I think it's just that, like understanding your three tiers, you're always going to have the person that's going to run in and pick up what they need and get out. You're going to have people that are going to uh, be comfortable coming in and want to browse. And then we look at that real big one, that big size of the market. That's how do we convert? And that's where we have to work with people like yourselves to educate, to build, to understand, you know, a different planogram. What is planogram? People would look at that mostly and go, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's 
consumer study. It's basically how consumers shop and how do we apply cannabis to that model um, to create incentives for them to want to purchase more. So let's up that basket from 50 bucks, an average person to a hundred bucks because we're offering more things, right? Right. And think long, sorry, I'm going to go on one more. Think long term, future cast yourself into, you know, your, your cyber side of the business. Things are going to change. We saw how quickly Ontario pivoted with COVID. Now, I think they're taking a step back to evaluate, to understand where they're going, what they're going to keep, what they're going to change. But, you know, pickup will come back. Curbside will come back. Delivery will come back. I think let the government, you know, Give, give them time to figure out what that looks like. We're, we're in, you know, COVID right now, and that's taking precedence on a lot of things. But in our conversation last week with Val um, from the government, from the BC Chamber, you know, he's very supportive, um, and the government is very supportive of us, and we will have things like delivery and pickup coming to BC very quickly. So we have to count our blessings, but we also have to, <laughs> we also have to think about, you know, what that looks like and how to not just be in the moment and focus on getting the doors open or the day to day, but we have to think about like, what can we, what do we have to think about down the road to implement and pivot quickly um, to, to convert more people and have people buying online. I think way more people are gonna buy online and get delivery than we think. Um, and so how are we gonna appeal to them? Yeah, and like that piece, you, you highlighted a lot of parts there for us that we would categorize into retaining and building spend. And when you talk about three categories of customers, they each need different things to retain them and then to build their spend. Now there are things that will cross over and be mutually beneficial for all customers, absolutely. But the behaviors that you create for each one and how does your team be able to articulate those things? And then how does that also articulate into your operations for us are like the biggest pieces. So if somebody, like you said, is running in and running out of the store, what does that look like? And then how do we offer them the pieces and ensure that when they are doing like a click and collect, they're being prompted with the right product at the right time with additional products to add to the cart? Because if you just keep it as simple and, and accept that they are a high THC product consumer, and that is it, then you, you haven't made a, a deep relationship with them. So you're really limiting your ability to retain them versus another store who can offer them the exact same thing. And then how do you continue to build the spend with that customer? So that they're not just purchasing the exact same products yeah. all the time and that there is a little bit of product mix that happens in there. Yeah, we're definitely challenged with not uh, being able to do a lot of marketing and advertising. We're definitely challenged with um, not having a loyalty program. Um, but I'm, you know, pro tip to everyone. Uh, we're supposed to be taking names down and phone numbers and email addresses for COVID. Use that as your opportunity to start building a database of your clients. And when they do, when you see an order come in on Click and Collect and they're coming in to pick it up, look at their profile, look at their history, train your staff to look at that and go, hey, you know what? Hey, Jay, last time you were in here, um, you purchased blah, 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 blah. Um, and I see you're purchasing this. Did you know that we have some, this new product on or these new pre-rolls or this drink or something like that, that may interest them because it's part of their purchasing behavior. So I think that's where companies like yourself uh, come in, into play as well is how do we study purchasing behavior? 
you know, we can't, we have to remember that if we're going for retail, you know, retailers and the big retailers study their purchasing behavior, their planograms, how people navigate their store, where they're buying most products, what's happening, um, and which salespeople are really good at converting and why. Um, and have those discussions in-house about sales training. Bring, you know, the reps and the LPs and their reps, they're, they're, they want to sell product too. Like utilize their people. Have them come in and work in the store for free for a few hours. They want to do things. And believe you me, they want to sell product and they want to sell their product. So, you know, have those reps come in on a regular basis. Have them talk. Have them do workshops. Bring, have them take some of your staff out for lunch and have a discussion. You know, they, they do have expense accounts. Don't shoot me anybody for saying that. <laughs> Every LP is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> So, I mean, it is business, right? And the LPs, the only conduit they have outside of their medical stream, a revenue stream, is the retailer. Um, you know, they, they do have the online uh, and they do have the provincial stores and the online sales through the provincial stores. But ultimately, people still want to experience a tangible opportunity to come in and, and see it for themselves and uh, shop in their local store. You know, I've purchased one thing uh, through the LDB it took like a whole week. I don't want to wait a week. I'm kind of like, you know, I, on the best of days, my patience is like three minutes. Like <laughs> short-term gratification, you know, I, I don't want to wait that kind of time. So, you know, and listen, I becoming friends with your fellow retailers in your local area, share your wealth. You know, some, if you're out of a product, try to upsell them to something else or, or change their, change them and convert them into a different product. That's of similar, uh, kind, but, you know, call your other fellow retail and say, hey, you know what, I happen to know, you know, Kiaro has it, I'll give them a quick buzz for you, and if they have it, they're going to do the same thing. We have to work on a reciprocity system here as well, in order, the more product we all sell, they, the faster this industry is going to grow, and we're going to be able to open things up, and the industry will evolve for us, so we can actually get more of those conversions, and we can become, as everyone wants us to, in a lot of ways, and I I don't like using these words much, but become more mainstream. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, well, there's, sorry, there's mainstream and then there's taking and being innovative with something. And so like you were giving an example about having reps come in and offer education. First and foremost, like what are the, the grassroots requirements of your team members to sell? Like what are your expectations as a retailer around the selling behavior? Like what does that look like? It shouldn't be a script, but it should definitely be some parts in there that is around sales training, just like the education of how to engage with somebody that you've never engaged with before. And then how do you like really leverage and build the knowledge of the product on top of that? And we see that done really, really well with Sephora. So watch what they do with Sephora. They bring on their team. They teach them everything they can about Sephora and the brand and about selling. And then they let the reps come in and provide product knowledge. And those reps create relationships with the um, sales associates in Sephora on a whole different level than just coming into the store and dropping some knowledge and dropping off some pamphlet, pamphlets. And those relationships can be the difference between some of those brand success in specific stores. So I think there's a lot to learn from an environment like that. Yeah, 100%. And some of the closest people in the industry I know, especially locally, are the reps. 
Um, you know, we hang out socially. We, they, I invite them all the time, anytime they want to come by from some of them had more privilege than others in terms of catching me when I'm going to the store and they get to see like demo to now. <laughs> um, but also, you know, uh, introducing them to my staff right away and saying, Hey, you know what? Like people, Nicole spends time with everybody now without me establishing her own relationships with them. Sarah has been in the industry a, a while too. So she knows a lot of people as well. And actually, and just, you know, I've created environments where, you know, we're going to have in-store activations and they'll come in for a few hours at a time to do a workshop and spend time with the staff and answer their questions. And, you know, they can shadow the staff and be there to answer other questions. You know, people are, who are repping in the industry are committed to their job. I've never known more, uh, I've never known reps more committed to their brand and what they're doing in the cannabis industry in any retail environment I've ever been a part of in my life. Um, so yeah, they're, they're there to help and they're, they're there to answer your questions and to train and, and you know, you're not paying for that, which is incredible. Um, and they're not, you know, of course they're, they're centric to their brand and they they're, are the most knowledgeable to their brand, but they also don't forget go into every retailer either provincially, for sure locally, and sometimes across the country. So their insights are huge. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the, and they're not under NDAs and they're like, hey, I, I see this working in one store, you might wanna try it, because they wanna move product, right? So it's to their advantage to help us all out. So yeah, give some leverage to the reps, and they they also want to be busy. They they don't want to sit around twiddling their thumbs all the time or trying to get into see retailers. You know, give them the floor, have them come in and and have fun with your staff, and your staff can get incentivized in different ways through working with the the LPs and the reps as well. So I think you know yeah, you, you get a really good uh, point there. Is that how do we create more relationships in this industry and make connections to the LPs, well, well, your local reps or your provincial reps or the rep that is, has the daunting job of managing the entire country. I want to thank you both because this has been an enlightening conversation. I, I love that as we do these, this series that we're doing with Katrina, that we're drilling down, uh, you know, from, from big picture, very, very specifically drilling down to the, to the in-store retail experience and how to make that successful. Uh, of course, working back to the consumer, but also how to implement that uh, from a retailer perspective. So thank you, Krista. Thank you, Christina. We look forward to continuing this conversation as, uh, as more marigolds um, find success uh, throughout Canada. So thank you both. And we will connect with everybody down the road. Thanks, thank you both. Thank you, Christina. Have a good day.